Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, I'm talking with Leslie Schrock, who is an investor and entrepreneur with a decade of experience working in the intersection of health and technology. We're discussing her book, Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So what inspired you to write this book? My own complicated pregnancy journey uh, as a healthy woman in her mid-30s. So we're hearing a lot about that these days. You know, the average age of first-time moms is no longer 24 uh, or 23 as it was, uh, you know, in the 80s when a lot of the classic pregnancy guides were written. And, um, you know, I came to this with a lot of knowledge, a background working in healthcare, um, and really, uh, it was the most clueless and helpless I have ever felt um, in my entire life. I had a miscarriage, I had a second pregnancy that wasn't viable, and then 16 months later, my son arrived, uh, you know, during a somewhat urgent C-section. So, you know, you can kind of say everything that went wrong, could have gone wrong, uh, for me did go wrong. And uh, I just kept thinking, like, if it's this hard for me, what must this be like for everyone else? And so, you know, kind of in my first uh, trimester of the last, uh, you know, pregnancy, uh, I started writing my book. Um, I wrote it in real time, which was really cool because it kind of, you know, got to track with me as I went through it. I also, you know, sourced uh, many, many questions and lots of things from, you know, chat, chat groups and forums, Facebook groups and more mom, more mom groups than any one person should ever be, uh, be part of Reddit, you name it. I'm really to try to find out what were the things that people needed to know that no one was talking about. And so really it sprung from, you know, my own personal journey, uh, but then really grew to uh, try to capture kind of the zeitgeist of, you know, hey, like there are hard parts of this process. There's a lot of joy. It's a life-changing process for me. It's like the best thing I've ever done. Um, But it's not always like that for everyone. So I think that we uh, don't do a great job of preparing people for the full journey of pregnancy. So we can get into that in a little bit. (laughs) Well, well, let's get into that. How did you feel unprepared? What did your doctor explain to you? And then what did you feel like was missing in that explanation? You know, I I think I had an excellent OB. I had a whole obstetrics team. It wasn't really about the quality of my medical care. Um, I had great care. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I have decent insurance. I have, you know, good medical care. But really, like, those appointments are 10 minutes. I mean, they're not long. So you spend, you know, during an average pregnancy, you have 10 to 12 appointments typically. They're usually about 10 or 15 minutes long at the most, uh, you know, unless you're getting scans done. And that's just not enough time. Uh, if you think about how long this process is, especially in those first days when you only have really like one appointment a month. And so for me, I did not understand how common miscarriage is. That was one thing that was very, very surprising. Um, you know, once you have one, you realize that uh, everyone you know pretty much has had one if they have one kid or multiple kids because uh, it's incredibly common. I think it happens in, um, we actually don't know how common it really is because it's kind of impossible to, to know exactly uh, when every single person gets pregnant if they do because so many are lost before, um, you know, your period's even missed. So, you know, our best guess is it's like 20% uh, is the number I see really being circulated. It could be up to 30, though. Um, we just don't know. So as soon as I had my miscarriage, I just thought, oh, my gosh, I'm now hearing from all these friends because I was pretty open about it. Um, that, you know, they've had one too. And then the second time, you know, when we had, um, you know, chromosomal abnormalities and we had some other issues, that one I really felt like no one talks about, um, even though it's increasingly common. 
uh, as the average age of first-time moms grows up. So, you know, it was both a, a sense of, you know, there are all these difficult things that happen that are very common that we don't talk about. And also, I think we have this idea that pregnancy care has to be kind of one-size-fits-all. So, um, you know, thinking about your care team, not as just a relationship with a doctor uh, or a midwife, um, you know, whichever direction you kind of decide to go, uh, but also opening yourself up to, you know, other people, other different modalities. Um, You know, I think there are lots of complementary practices, you know, um, practitioners like doulas who can make a huge uh, difference in the birth experience and improve outcomes. So I was also really excited to dive into that. So... Um, you know, I, the, going back to the, the miscarriage part, I mean, I, I think it, it is um, not talked about, and I think even among friends, um, and I, I, this actually came up um, last week in my office, and, and, and I think a lot of it, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you've probably done more research, but a lot of people do feel shame, and there's the, the yeah. old idea that, you know, everything that has to do with, with fertility, conception, and pregnancy is on the woman, and so if you miscarry, you did something wrong. And and so then you don't want to talk about it. You're grieving it, and then you feel a huge amount of shame around the fact that that even happened to you. So it's harder to talk about it because you don't want anybody to know. Yep. I, you're hitting something so important, and there are two things that I want to uh, talk about here. One is, yes, I felt it. I felt so much shame. I felt so much guilt. The spectrum of different emotions that I was feeling ranged from I waited too long to have kids and this is totally my fault because like my eggs are old and rotten, which is not rational. Um, you know, it, I thought, oh, well, maybe like I exercised and that was what it was. Or like, oh, I had that cup of coffee. And, you know, and this is before I had gone down the road of, of, of research for my book and found out that this is all uh, completely false. So, you know, 75% of miscarriages, that's the number we think. It could actually be more are just due to chromosomal abnormalities where, you know, the embryo just would not be uh, viable, so it's in fact not your fault. There are chronic conditions that can that can lead to um, you know miscarriage, drug use, excessive alcohol use, like substance abuse is definitely a cause. Um, if you think you're pregnant, not a good thing to do. If you're trying to get pregnant, not a good thing to do. But the majority of the time, it's not. The other thing that I want to hit on, and I'm so glad you brought this up, is that it is almost always um, on the woman if there's a fertility issue in play. So about a third of the time, the issue is with egg quality or something else related to, uh, you know, women's health. Another third of the time, it's sperm. It's what's going on with, with your partner. And we do not try to test sperm first. In fact, it's often not tested until way, way, way later in the process. Some couples pursue IVF before they even understand that there's an issue with with sperm quality. So um, there are actually, there's a great company that just launched, uh, you know, within the last year called Legacy that's doing this at home. It's, um, you know, kind of the same quality of testing that you get in a clinic. I think for a lot of men, they don't want to go to a clinic and it's kind of embarrassing. But um, a third of the time, the issue is sperm. So if you're hitting fertility challenges, both partners need to get tested. The other third of the time, if you hit a fertility challenge, it's actually um, uh, either both of you, there's something going on, or it's kind of impossible to diagnose. So that's kind of how it breaks out, which I find fascinating. Well, well, I'm glad you brought up the, the men as well, because I know, um, you know, having treated, um, I practice Chinese medicine and acupuncture, and we we do treat fertility, and often the women will be coming in over and over, and we'll never see the man, and, and, and you know, and it's just as important for him to be healthy and, and to do the same amount of work and to have acupuncture and to, to eat well, and, and, and it, it just, that conversation doesn't even happen, you know, they, and, yeah. and I think, you know, and I'm thinking, of uh, there's a few shows I can think of where the man had to go get his sperm tested and he's freaking out about his manhood and I don't think we've ever seen a show where a man had to get his sperm tested where he was okay with oh yeah I just have to do this so then that oh yeah right like we don't ever see that calm so maybe that calm isn't there I'm not a man so I don't know but but um you know there's obviously a lot of issues around whether or not a man can have a fertility issue as well yes I couldn't agree more. And yes, it is. There are things that men can do to improve their sperm quality. You know, like taking CoQ10 is not just something to uh, to do for women. It's 
you know, been proven to have benefits for both. Um, but yeah, I think we have to change this narrative around, uh, you know, fertility challenges and infertility to really start encapsulating men because sperm counts have gone down, uh, I think it's 60% in the last 40 years. Um, sperm quality does go down given um, advanced paternal age. Should we start, should we make that a thing? Should we make advanced <laughs> paternal age a thing? <laughs> like post 40 years old? You know what well, I mean? right, you were um, at what, 35 when you were pregnant and I'm guessing you were treated yeah. like a geriatric pregnancy and you're like, I'm in my 30s and who wants to hear that oh word, gosh. geriatric, right? When you're in your I 30s. Know. yeah. Right? Like oh, that, yeah. that whole advanced maternal age thing is just yeah. so crazy. So crazy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would love to see us change the conversation around, around fertility to really start including men and to not make it a point of shame. Because it doesn't make you any less of a man if there's something going on with your sperm. And I think we have to change that, you know, that paradigm of like associating manhood with what's going on in there. But it's, I think it's just true right now for people. But I think that's, that's an area I've actually become very interested in recently. Um, I also love that you brought up acupuncture because I think that this is yet again, especially if you're hitting fertility challenges, you know, acupuncture has proven clinical, like it's been researched. We know that it's helpful with IVF. Um, I had acupuncture every time we tried to conceive and we were successful all three times, which is like not normal, but um, I loved my experience with, with acupuncture. I think it added a tremendous amount to my care. Um, there were times when, you know, I was having symptoms and I'd go in and it would help me feel better. Um, and really like one of the, I don't know if you find this, uh, cause you know, it, it sounds like you still practice, uh, how much do you practice currently? Um, I'm full time. Yep. Okay. So this is, I mean, this is like what you're doing. So, I mean, for me, I don't know if you find this with your clients, but it was so good for my mental health because Mm -hmm. I think when you get pregnant, you kind of assume, oh, I'm going to go see the doctor. And then you see the schedule of appointments and you're like, wait a second, I'm not going to see you for another month. And having my acupuncturist, who's like a wonderful, wonderful woman, I'm going to go see her again the next time I do this. It was so good for my mental health just to have like a weekly touch point with someone who was kind of tracking how I was doing, checking in. I think acupuncture is so good for, um, you know, stress relief, relaxation. I would just go in and take this like awesome nap. Even when I had heinous morning sickness, you know, like times I wasn't sleeping very much. I was, uh, I felt so much better when I was, um, you know, going and getting those treatments. So um, acupuncture is a thing that I recommend to everyone I know, both because I've researched it, um, you know, I kind of see Bumpin as a mix of, you know, it's, it was edited by an OB um, who is, you know, really into the research side of things. But it also includes, I think, all of these complementary practices like acupuncture that I think can really change, um, you know, change people's experience and really improve it. Well, and I, I agree with you. One of the things I like about acupuncture during pregnancy is there's so much that's contraindicated. We can't give a lot of herbs. You know, you're basically taking your prenatal and just a few other things. And, and then there's not much else you can do. You're going to be uncomfortable. We know that not all medication, you know, there's been in the past medications that we thought were safe that weren't. So a lot of people are very afraid to take something. Um, and, and the nice thing about acupuncture is it can help you with that morning sickness or that symptom or that pain or whatever is going on without being contraindicated, safe for the baby, actually better for the baby. And and I think that's one of the main things people need to understand is that, you know, there's no fear there. You're not going to hurt anything. You're just going to feel better. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that I really loved about, about my experience is, you know, you have these little tiny thin needles. You don't feel a thing. I actually, before I started acupuncture, I was terrified of needles. Like I'm one of those people who's bad with shots. I think like after you have a kid, everything just kind of flies out the window. But I did like the crazy fainting thing, like my whole life up until, um, you know, really I got pregnant and had this experience. And so even for me, who was like an avowed needle phobe, um, you know, acupuncture was just a total game changer. So I can't say enough good things about um, both where I went in, here in San Francisco and then also just in general, the benefits I've seen uh, delivered to people um, in, in my life and the research supports it. So I think it's just, it's a total win. Good for you for supporting families and, and women going through this process. It's awesome. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Leslie Schrock, and we're discussing her book, Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy. And we'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Leslie Schrock, and we're discussing her book, Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy. So, Leslie, um, I mean, you said one of the things that you felt that there was information missing, and and we went down the road of talking about fertility. But when you were in your first trimester, did you feel like there was um, just things that you didn't know or that are different, um, you know, now from when the books were written in the 80s? You know, I don't know that the symptoms have necessarily changed. I mean, I think pregnancy is still kind of pregnancy, right? Like what happens in the first trimester is, uh, you know, no mystery in in some ways. I think the cause of things and why things happen, you know, we don't really know exactly what causes morning sickness, um, especially when it's a hyperemesis. Like we don't, we don't know exactly why that happens to some people, but not others. Um, So I, I think in terms of like, yeah, the symptoms are about the same, um, but I think because we now have access to all of this information um, online and, you know, with, with strangers and people who have lots and lots of opinions, one of the things I really struggled with actually was, you know, in my third pregnancy, I didn't really have crazy symptoms. So I, the first two pregnancies uh, that, that unfortunately didn't work out, I had really bad morning sickness. And I didn't really know what to do about it for a while because, like, nothing really helped. Kept crackers by my bed, kind of followed all the conventional wisdom. I was getting acupuncture, you know, but I still was so nauseous all the time. And then the third time, I kind of had nothing, uh, which was strange. And then I thought, well, oh, my God, am I, like, still pregnant? Like, what? what is this? This doesn't feel like the last time. This isn't... Um, you know, this isn't, this can't be normal, right? And I would go on the forums and go in the apps and look around, like, if you're, if you're, you know, symptoms stop, does it mean something's wrong? Or does it seem like, you know, this is, this is not going to work out too? And what I realized is just like, I was white knuckling it so hard. 
And I think that that's a thing that we've really come to. I think that that's how a lot of women experience pregnancy now because we have access to so much information. We microanalyze every single moment, every single decision, every single thing to a point that's like really not healthy. And so for me, um, you know, I think, yes, having access to all this information, there was also a lot of bad information out there, a lot of people with opinions about things that just weren't true. And that had to, um, that was something that was very important to me uh, because I actually read in, it's one of like the best-selling pregnancy books from the last, uh, you know, 20 years. Uh, There's a whole chapter dedicated to why you shouldn't exercise. And one of the reasons is why take the risk, which is crazy to me Mm -hmm. because... We know that exercise has, and exercise I would like to reframe as just staying active because it can mean lots of things. It doesn't mean having to be a gym rat. It just means like going for a walk. It just means like having some baseline level of activity in your life. Um, But the fact that that still existed, the fact that someone like this book still sells a lot of copies and it's just categorically false. And so I really went down the rabbit hole of like, I went in with my own ideas but I tried to make it kind of a judgment-free zone. This is what we know. Here are the caveats. You can't control everything, which is another really important message, I think, that I'd love to, you know, share with anyone who will listen, which is just, you know, you can do everything, quote-unquote, right. You can follow the rules. You can, you know, eat as healthily as you can. You can take good care of yourself. But in the end, like, you just don't have full control over this process. That's important to understand. I think that's where a lot of the anxiety comes in. It's hard to to let go of that anxiety if you're not getting pregnant or if you are pregnant and you've miscarried or you don't want to and you're scared. And then, of course, you're down that anxiety road. Um, But knowing that there are other people in the same situation, whether they're talking about it or not, I think is really helpful because then you don't feel quite as lonely. Um, You know, one of the most uh, the biggest comments that I get when when there is a miscarriages you know we're just alone in this we haven't told anybody we were pregnant it's just the two of us you know we're grieving nobody understands and and nobody's sharing right and and that's yeah. a, a big deal that affects things significantly and how you're going to feel as you said in the next subsequent pregnancies and and in general I think yeah absolutely and I think that that's you know one of the one of the things that I'm trying to change with this book is that I am totally willing to be raw and real and talk about how hard it was, but also talk about how common it is. I mean, the number of people who opened up to me, and actually, I mean, I'm now like Siri for pregnancy with everyone I know um, and everyone I don't know, which is really, really a cool thing. Um, But it's incredible to have people sharing these very vulnerable moments with me because I was willing to go out there. Um, Hilaria Baldwin actually just posted this uh, or wrote this piece, I think it was in Glamour, um, about her miscarriage that happened, I believe, at like 16 weeks, which is, you know, on the later side. Miscarriages typically happen before uh, 10 or 12 weeks. So it was, you know, mm-hmm. definitely a pretty traumatic one. And the way she wrote it, I thought was absolutely perfect, you know, about all of the hurt, all of the kind of shame, all of the, you know, even though she has, I think, three or four other kids, like, looking around and just feeling this grief. And I think that this is another um, area that we really need to work on, which is mental health during pregnancy. It's, it's an incredibly stressful time on so many levels. Your entire life is changing. Your body is changing. Your hormones are all crazy. Um, even if they're not totally crazy, they're probably just different. There's something that's different. Your body is changing, which might be really hard. For, it's very hard for a lot of people, um, especially people who, you know, are very into fitness. Um, you know, it's, it's just a big change. Never mind the changes with your finances um, and your relationship, which uh, are two areas that I think no books and no one really kind of covers in this, which is, if you're not doing financial planning before or during pregnancy and talking to your partner about what you want that life to look like when your baby shows up, um, you know, how you want to split responsibilities, all of those things, um, you know, that's another huge area that I think contributes to stress and anxiety for most couples. Uh, and so I have whole sections of the book dedicated to ways that your partner can help. Actually, sections just for them to read, and you should read it together. Um, One of the things that's been really kind of compelling or 
I mean, it's one of those things that you never know how something is going to land. I was really hoping that men would read this book, uh, and it's happening. I actually was looking at my Amazon reviews the other day, and I think, like, maybe not quite half, but almost half of the reviews are from guys uh, who are feeling like, this book empowered them to understand what their partner was going through, understand how to help. They're like reciting facts about the uterus, you know, like the annoyance of their partners. You know, it's like it's a shared experience. And I don't think we need to have these two narratives about the experience just for a father and the experience just for the mother. I think we need to talk about it together and really be more open from the time that you maybe something goes wrong and you have a miscarriage all the way through um, childbirth and the postpartum period. Well, you know, I, I like that you said that because, you know, since, you, you know, you mentioned the most common books were written in the 80s. And in that time, a lot has changed, not just having babies later, but also the roles that men and women are playing and, and men are yeah. more involved in this process. So for them to understand what their partner is going through. And then I think, you know, talking about having that discussion, um, that doesn't happen all the time. People just kind of go about, have their babies, and then they're like, oh, he's not pitching in. You know, I've heard this from people, and it's like, well, what are your expectations of each other? You know, maybe he thinks that because you know, one person did one, you know, you just don't know what's going on in his point. Maybe he does more of something else and thinks, oh, you're not helping. And and so if you don't have that open dialogue, which I think a lot of people are scared to have, you're not going to have that partnership that you need to have because you are in a very difficult um, situation when you have a baby. You're not sleeping. (laughs) You're not your best. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything else going on, any complications, things are going to be different than what you expected them to be. Absolutely. You know, I interviewed over 20 people for this book. um, And one of the interviews that I had that I think was most personally impactful for me and a huge eye-opener was with a woman who's actually a parenting coach. I didn't even know this was a thing. Uh, before I talked to her, but she really um, set me, I think, on a great path where I was able to talk to my husband about things that I really didn't even know we should discuss. So, you know, we had 16 months to, to have these talks, and we were talking about it before we ever conceived. You know, we kind of agreed on, on some very basic things, but, um, you know, some of her advice was, and this is all in the book, um, you know, really talk about, like, what your childhoods were like Um, you know, kind of talk about and think about like what your parents did and what things you would want to do differently. Be open about that with your partner. Um, Because like, if you guys are having a kid together, there is no room for not being open about much of anything anymore. Um, I think it's really important to just kind of get over the hurdle of feeling like it's awkward. Um, And then I think another thing that I talked about with her and I've talked about with lots of other practitioners um, is I think we have to get away from this idea that it's going to be a 50-50 split um, and looking for it to be perfectly even at all times. Like there are going to be some times where, guess what, if you're breastfeeding, you're going to be doing a lot more work and it just is. There's no reason your partner can't pick up the slack in other areas. There's no reason they can't bring you water. There's no reason they can't, you know, do other things like help with food, whatever, run errands. There are great ways to contribute, but looking for it to be 50-50 in those early days is a recipe for resentment um, in, in my experience and also um, just with all of the experts that I talked to. They said, you know, if we could really change this narrative uh, around it, you know, people expecting it to be splitsies, it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, my husband and I have a great, uh, we actually have a great thing going with, with our son, which I've shared with a few people, and they're like, oh, that's, that's really smart. And I'm like, is it smart? I feel like it's just kind of a rational way to do it. He takes the morning. I'm not a morning person. So he wakes up with our son. He gives him his bottle. He spends some time with him, just one-on-one. I get up shortly after that, but I like to give them a little time on their own because I think it's really important to do that. Uh, And then I do bedtime. I do bedtime and bath time. I have more flexibility in the evenings typically. So, um, you know, that's kind of how we split it. And it's not always 50-50. Um, like I got up this morning with him cause my husband had to go to work really early. So I'll probably do bedtime and bath time tonight too, but I'm fine with that. Um, mm-hmm. so I think like it's about figuring out what works for your relationship, but being very open about what you need. Like 
I need a few extra minutes of sleep in the morning uh, compared to my husband, um, especially if, you know, our son doesn't sleep or if it's a rough night. I'm just, I need more sleep than he does. So we balance things out, but we had to talk about it. We had to talk about what kinds of parents we wanted to be. We had to talk about what we were both good at and what we were both bad at. And we were very clear about that. And I think it's why largely, like, we just don't really fight about this stuff um, because we have this openness and because we've both kind of come to it saying like I'm happy to help you with the thing you're not good at Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I love that you're talking about how it's not 50-50. I I actually don't think anything in life is really like that, even a partnership without kids. So, so, you know, the idea that needs to be fair is really going to set you up for failure because it's not like that. It's about being a team and, and, you know, doing your part in the team and and keeping that kid alive and happy, I think. (laughs) Um, And asking, asking for help too. I think this is another area where I think, you know, especially women, we have this, you know, cultural narrative around you have to be it all, do it all, uh, you know, have it all. And it's just not possible. I don't really know anyone who is able to do every single thing perfectly. Like you can't be the perfect friend, perfect mother, perfect, you know, uh, have a good relationship with yourself and your partner and be great at work all at the same time. I mean, that is just so much. So I think another area that, you know, we really worked hard on in, in our relationship, and this also came from this, this interview, um, was like, when I want my husband to do something, I ask. I don't assume he's going to see like a dirty dish and just automatically do it. He does some fraction of the time, but like he doesn't always. And so I just say, hey, would you please mind doing this thing? And you know what? He always does it. And it's great, but I have to ask sometimes, and it's okay. It no longer bothers me. I don't expect him to be psychic. Um, I think that's another thing. And asking for friends and family for help. Asking if you need, you know, if you run into a hard patch in your relationship, or even if you're just struggling with anxiety or depression during pregnancy, it's really important to get professional help. Therapy is not just for, for when things are terribly wrong or to talk about your relationship with your mom. Um, therapy is really for major life changes. I highly recommend it. I saw a therapist, um, especially after my second pregnancy uh, ended, uh, not in a way that I wanted. I was grieving. I was just absolutely devastated. It was one of the hardest, if not, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever actually gone through. It was really awful. Um, And I had to see a grief therapist and it really made a difference. I cannot recommend it highly enough. There are lots of options. Um, You know, if money or time is a consideration, you can have a chat with someone on the phone. There are text services. There is, like, everything on the spectrum of access and cost. So I would just really encourage anyone who's out there, um, you know, who's struggling, please seek help. It doesn't make you weak. It does not make you weak. It is a good thing. I want to talk about that a little bit, the the mental health aspect of um, pregnancy. A lot of people just talk about, oh, postpartum can happen. And, um, you know, I've had some conversations about postpartum um, on this show. And, and I know that we're not quite where we need to be with information. We're getting there. Um, but, you know... And it's not understood. And just like the fertility issue, I think there's a lot of shame around it as well. Um, and, and I think people don't also realize that as they're pregnant, they can be experiencing symptoms that, that you know, are uncomfortable, fear, anxiety, um, or just more than that. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, you know, shifting hormones mean there's a lot going on uh, in that brain. And like I said, it is a major life transition. And so postpartum gets a lot of attention, um, I think, because we know a bit more about it. It's, um, it, it can be actually really hard to diagnose, though, but it's very common. Uh, postpartum depression also happens in men. Uh, it's, we think in about 10% of men, which we really don't talk about. Um, but it's, you know, it's a major life transition. And so I think, you know, as it relates to fertility, like conception, that period of time, a lot of people experience a lot of anxiety. It can be very easy to get depressed because, you know, if things are not happening quickly, um, you know, but really like this role of hormones, um, which, you know, everything changes once you get off of the pill or whatever birth control method. Um, for me, it was the pill. For a lot of people, it's, you know, an IUD or something else. 
Um, but I think we have to just acknowledge that, you know, anytime you are doing something or experiencing something that signals uh, a major change in your hormones, it's going to start messing with your head a little bit in some way. And really, like, being honest with how you're feeling, you know, if you're in a relationship, talking to your partner about it. If you can't talk to your partner about it, making sure there's someone else safe in your life to talk about it with, um, especially if you hit some some bad points. I mean, uh, you know, if you have a miscarriage, like, it is incredibly isolating. It can feel very shameful. It can feel very, you know, like, embarrassing almost. I mean, I don't know. I rode the full roller coaster of, like, every single possible emotion related to it. I was embarrassed. I was, you know, ashamed of myself. I felt stupid. I felt you know, like it was all my fault. I felt, I, there's like probably nothing I didn't feel at some point. Um, you know, the self-blame was just kind of en- endless uh, for, for a while until I started doing the research and realizing that there's absolutely nothing I could have done about it. So, um, yeah, I think mental health uh, is, is something that, you know, we don't, we pay a lot more attention to morning sickness than we do mental health. Um, and I think that really has to change. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Leslie Schrock, and we're discussing her book, Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy. And we'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. We're on the pulse of the world with great shows and hosts. The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel is also on Twitter. We've got ideas to keep you healthy, breaking health news, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Voice AM Health. That's at Voice AM Health. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I'm talking with Leslie Schrock, and we're discussing her book, Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy. So, Leslie, I think we had a good segue into um, what to expect after birth, um, which, I, I, you know, everybody talks about postpartum, but I think there are some things that aren't discussed enough. Um, can you just let us know what's going on there? <laughs> oh, my gosh. If I, if I you, knew you've got two minutes, go. postpartum period. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh, man, it is, um, you know, for me, like, there's the fertility and conception side uh, that was surprising and kind of shocking. And then, you know, everything that happened during birth for me kind of went went haywire. And that led to a postpartum recovery that, you know, I think in the end ended up being pretty quick. But the first days after birth, oh, my gosh. No one talks about that. No one talks about, I mean, people kind of talk about the bleeding. They talk about the mesh underwear at the hospital and like making friends with nurses to, to get a bunch of extra to take home. But, you know, I had two weeks of night sweats, uh, which I don't, I don't think people ever talk about that. Um, you know, I had to sleep over a towel for a few weeks. I had so much fluid retention after birth. Um, so I did this thing. I'm very against people trying for the snapback body thing. I think it's ridiculous. Like your body has changed. It's hard. It can be a hard transition. Like, but your body is never really exactly the same after birth. Um, and I think just kind of living with that and sitting with that is something that 
uh, is challenging, but I think we need to be more honest about. Um, but for me, I weighed myself so that I could chime in here because uh, I knew that it would be crazy, but I just wasn't prepared for how crazy it would actually be. So I weighed myself when we got home from the hospital and I weighed exactly the same that day as I did the day I left, um, which was surprising because there was no longer a baby in there. But I was retaining mm. so much fluid um, that three days later, when I weighed myself again, I had lost 20 pounds in three days of fluid retention. Um, and it wow. was from, you know, I had a C-section. I was on a bunch of medications. Uh, and I would, like, kind of weigh myself periodically, purely to chime in about this issue uh, so that people don't feel like, well, it's been six weeks and now I should just, like, kind of go back to feeling normal. Or, like, hey, it's the end of the fourth trimester, uh, you know, the first three months after birth. I should, like, be normal, right? And it's, like, it's, you're never going to be normal again. So I think, you know, getting to the bottom of the idea that, like, postpartum weight loss kind of makes no sense. Fluid retention, all of the things that are happening, you know, your, your body holds on to a little bit of extra weight while you're breastfeeding. Uh, you need a little bit of extra fat typically to, to do that. So it's not even good to lose a ton of weight all at the same time uh, if, you're, if you're trying to breastfeed. Um, but, you know, everyone's journey is so different. And I think this is another uh, key point that, you know, if you take away one thing from listening to this interview, uh, your journey to, you know, conceiving is going to be different. Your pregnancy will be different. Like your bump will be different. The way you feel between pregnancies, if you get pregnant a second time, will be different. Um, and your recovery will be different from other people that you see on the Internet, from your friends, from your cousins, from anyone and really, it's okay, and it's normal. Um, we're not all the same. We're not all going to have the same journey. And so really, um, you know, post, the postpartum period is totally weird. A lot of things happen to your body. You shrink. I think one of the most interesting things that I, um, <clears throat> I heard about uh, and experienced was, you know, this process of involution. You kind of think, oh, well, you know, your uterus has been this size for, uh, you know, like it's expanded to the size of a watermelon. And then like three days after birth, it's shrunk back down to the size of um, the size that it was in about 18 weeks, which is fascinating. So um, really, I think that was another big like aha moment for me was just seeing how quickly the body, um, you know, gets back to normal. And then also realizing, you know, you can get pregnant like two weeks after you give birth. <laughs> So it's really important. I mean, I think the majority of people probably are not that into having sex at that point anyway. Um, but I think there's a lot of bad information out there about, uh, you know, the postpartum period as it relates to birth control. You know, breastfeeding is great birth control. If you're exclusively breastfeeding, you're not pumping, um, you're not supplementing, you're not doing anything. Uh, it's about as effective as the pill. But if you deviate from that at all, um, all of those benefits go away. So I think that that's uh, another, you know, area. If you know anyone who's had, you know, two kids under the age of one, it's typically because people assume that breastfeeding is foolproof. And the reality is, unless you adhere really closely to the rules, it's actually not. Um, I, I, I've seen that before. Uh, that happened to friends of mine. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it was somewhat amusing on my part. But, um, you know, the, it, it's, I mean, basically the only way that you can um, not get pregnant and know that it's it's 100% is to abstain. So um, the, you can't just assume that because somebody said if you're breastfeeding, you'll be okay, you're going to be okay, because there's always an exception to every rule in, the, in those cases. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, now, what, one thing as well is there's a lot of controversy I think about choices that women make, um, you know, whether it should be a natural birth or no medication or medication. And, and so to come up with a birth plan and then and then I think when when women do, there's a lot of other people who have opinions about it as well. So it's very difficult for people to make the right decision for them. Um, what 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 do you recommend for people when they're trying to come up with this birth plan and after birth plan? Yeah, well, a couple things. I think we should call them birth preferences, not a plan, because <laughs> anyone who has given birth can tell you. Um, you know, even if you have a totally textbook vaginal birth, 
um, something's not going to go the way you think. Like something. There will be one, at least one part of it that's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Um, so, and that can come in all shapes and sizes. So I think it's, you know, coming up with a set of preferences that feel right for you and what's right for you will likely not be exactly the same as anyone else you know. You will likely have some way of thinking about it or something that feels important to you that will not maybe feel important to other people or maybe everyone else cares about something and you really don't. Um, so I think, you know, framing them as preferences. Another thing that really bothers me is this whole idea that birth is unnatural if it's not like, you know, giving birth in your bathtub, like with candles and Sade or something like this whole framework of natural birth is a C-section, not natural birth. I, I'm pretty sure, like, unless there's an artificial uterus involved, um, <laughs> it's a natural birth. So I am really, I'm, you know, and this was before I had my C-section, which I needed because my son and I would have both died had we not had it. Uh, he was stuck. I was he was blocking my ureter. Like there was, I hadn't peed in like 14 hours. I mean, it was a mess and I wasn't dilating. There were all kinds of things going wrong for me. He was just too big. Um, he had a really big head. So, um, you know, I think we have to change this frame of like, if you don't have a perfectly unmedicated birth, it's not natural. So actually one thing in bumping that was important to me, I frame everything as either vaginal birth or C-section and medicated or unmedicated. Um, you know, when it came to my birth, I labored for about 12 hours with no, um, I, I used a nitrous mask, which, you know, didn't really do that much. It was like a nice distraction, but I don't know if it was very good pain relief, actually. But I didn't go in and have an epidural. Um, I really wanted to labor at home for as long as I could. And as I said, like nothing really went the way that we thought it would. Um, but you know, I, I labored with no medication for a long time. And finally, when I wasn't making any progress, I realized that an epidural was probably a good way to just relax everything, see if I would open up, see if it would change everything. Um, because otherwise I was going to have to get a C-section anyway. So, and that's part of the, that's part of the deal when you get a C-section. So, um, you know, I think getting really attached to, uh, a set of a, a plan uh, is a really good way to feel disappointed afterwards because, you know, like I said, something will not happen the way that you want at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, it, I think that's life as well. <laughs> you know, we have our plan yeah, for life, and then 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 it just <laughs> yeah, right, and then it just doesn't happen that way. Now, um, I do think that it's important also to to talk about how other people have their opinions, and and this comes back to the shaming as well. Um, you know, you have your plan. What if you want to have an epidural, and then you've got somebody go telling you this is dangerous, and you know they have their opinion about this. Um, you know, I, th- I think that one of the problems that we have today is that we do have opinions where we're, you know, shaming people into you need to do it this way. Um, and the bottom line, and I think you said it, is it's like picking what's right for you and your partner yep. and your baby and your family. And then you just stick to that and don't worry about everyone else. They're, they are actually, I think a lot of those come with good intentions, but it comes to Absolutely. be a, a, offensive to people who are like, this is not the decision I want to make. But most of the time people are just trying to, they have the best intentions for you they do and I think one you know one way that we can all start to kind of you know change that is you know we all experience it during pregnancy like at some point someone will come up to you if you're drinking a cup of coffee which is totally fine to do as long as you don't drink too much um you know I can't believe you're doing that like you know or you get the stink eye if you're in line for a cup of coffee or whatever you know it's and remembering what that felt like and choosing not to do that later on if you see it happening with someone else and just choosing to say like that is their body, you know, that is their decision and really remembering to be kind. I think that this is a thing that we've really lost. I think there is so much judgment in, especially with parenting. I mean, pregnancy is one thing there. Everyone gets an opinion about your pregnant belly because everyone can see it. And I think there's something just really, you know, beautiful and irresistible about it. But, you know, once you have a child, boy, then like the knives really come out um, for, you know, well, if you're not an attachment parent or you're not this, or I can't believe you had to give them formula or I can't believe, you know, X, Y, Z decision, or why aren't you wearing your baby or why aren't you doing this? 
Um, you know, like me, for example, I had big dreams of breastfeeding for a long time. I wanted to like, you know, wear the baby for, for some, you know, amount of time. Like I loved those wraps. I was very into that. I had a couple different things going on. You know, I also wanted my son to be a good sleeper, but everything kind of went sideways because I had a C-section. I was anemic. My, my milk supply was pretty bad the whole time. My son had like a pretty bad bout of, you know, it could have been colic, but I think he just has, I have um, IBD, um, irritable bowel disorder. I have ulcerative colitis. And I think he has a sensitive stomach the same way I do. And so he went through a bout where he just couldn't tolerate my breast milk. No matter what I did, I, I changed what I ate. I worked with lactation consultants. I had access to every possible person. And we still had to supplement with formula. And then at some point around 12 weeks, he just decided he was done. Uh, and I dried up and that was that. And so I think, you know, and he never wanted to be worn. In fact, when you rock him, he spits up. And he's been like that since he was an infant. And so, um, you know, like I had all of these thoughts about like the way that I thought that, you know, he, he would be. And, and he's wonderful and awesome and so funny and so great. But like when that kid wants to go to sleep, he wants to go to sleep in his crib. And he's been like that since day one. So um, I think it's also just, <laughs> you know, like recalibrating your expectations and knowing that in the same way that you can't totally control what happens during conception or your pregnancy or even the way your body recovers afterward, um, you're also not going to have full control over that kid that comes out because they're born mm -hmm. with their own set of opinions and preferences and personalities. And sitting back and watching that, you know, personality come out is truly one of the coolest um you know, my son's uh, almost nine months old now and watching the person he's becoming and just kind of letting him take the lead and like, you know, kind of seeing what he's interested in and, and, and going with that uh, is just one of the coolest things ever. I, it, I'm just in awe of him every day. It's awesome. Wow. That, that's amazing. And, and, you know, I think you and I could probably have talked for hours and hours, but we only got one hour. Um, is there any way if somebody <laughs> wants more information that they can find your book or get a hold of you? Yeah, um, bumpin.com actually will get you to me. It's just B-U-M-P-I-N.com. That's an easy one. And I'm on, I'm on the internet. I'm on Twitter. I'm happy to hear from anyone who has questions. Okay, well, perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. And uh, today we were talking with Leslie Schrock, and her book was Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy. If you want more information about my story or what I went through to get back to health, you can find that on my website at dr-risk.com. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 